accepting. Amen. Let's uh, uh, let's turn there. Amen. I know that um, somebody might think, well, you know, Pastor Mark, I don't need to turn there. I know what that one says. Well, let's turn there anyway. Amen. Uh, John chapter 3 and verse uh, 16. Let me see if I can explain it to you this way. Um, there are two pictures that hang in my living room, um, and uh, they actually... Uh, hung in my den uh, in the house that we lived in previously, and um, they're Thomas Kincaid prints, and, uh, and we moved them there and then uh, hung them again uh, in our home in Pleasant Grove, and so those two prints have hung in my uh, den and living room now for, I don't know, the better part probably of, of 15 years, and it's kind of sad, but if you were to, like, ask me questions about those two pictures, I'm not sure I could answer them, right? And yet I see them every day. But notice I see them, but at the same time I don't see them. I see them, but I don't really pay attention to them because I've become so accustomed to them that I, I don't really, you know, take the time to value them. And as I was, I was thinking about that this morning, I said, you know, when I get home today, I'm going to, I'm going to have to look at those two pictures again, you know, and because uh, obviously they, they uh, not only made the cut once, they made the cut twice uh, for them to hang uh, in my home. And I think sometimes if we're not careful, passages like John 3, 16 will become like those pictures hanging in our house that we walk past every day but never really notice or pay attention to or experience the, the, the reality of, of the truth that's contained in there. And so um, for the first time, uh, new for the first time again, praise God, hear it like you've never heard it before. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus is going to say later in this same gospel, in the 10th chapter, the 10th verse, that the thief only comes to steal, kill, and to destroy period, and, and there's a hard stop there, but in the same verse, Jesus says, but I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Now, this word life that Jesus used was obviously referring to something much deeper and much greater than the biological existence um, that we already had. When, when Father says that he loved us so much that he gave his son that we might have everlasting life, He's not just talking about a biological existence that never ends. And in the same way, when Jesus says, I've come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly, he said that to people who were biologically alive. So he wasn't just referring to what the Bible uh, in the original language, uh, the Greek language, refers to as bios. Bios is a, is a physical life. It's, it's a, it's a, we get our word biology from it. Uh, we get our word biography from it. If you've ever read someone's biography, you've read the story of their life. But Jesus came to give us Zoe. And the word Zoe is referring to the life and nature of God. So when Jesus says to people who are biologically alive, I've come to give you life, he wasn't confused. He wasn't talking about giving them something they already had. He was talking about giving them something that sin had separated us from. It had separated us from the life and nature of God, and Jesus came to restore the life and nature of God back to us once again. He said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it in overflowing abundance. And, and then, of course, we see 
where God so loved the world um, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, should not perish, but have everlasting zoe. Again, the life and nature of God without end. So if we, if we take these two verses and we, and we uh, combine them together, we see that this gift uh, that Matthew was referring to, this gift of God's son, it was a gift that was given so that we could have the life and nature of God once again in overflowing abundance without end. The life and nature of God in overflowing abundance without end. Now, I want to review just quickly from last Sunday. And if you were here last Sunday, and if you were not here last Sunday, I would highly recommend that you go back and listen to that sermon again or listen to it the first time. I really do believe that Father uh, was speaking very, very important words to us on last Sunday. And so I want to just real quick like um, review what we said last week. And, and that is, we said salvation is a gift that you receive, but discipleship is a process that you commit to. Salvation is about what God does for you. And aren't you glad that he did it for us? Amen. It's about what God does for you, but discipleship is, is what takes place after salvation, and discipleship is about where God wants to take you. So you have two very important concepts here. You have the concept of what it is that God wants um, to do for you, uh, what He wants uh, uh, you know, to, to give to you and bless you with and do for your life and do uh, in your life and the transformation that he wants to produce uh, deep inside of you through the new birth. Again, salvation is a gift that you receive. It, it's something uh, that God does for you. But then the, the next concept is this concept of discipleship. Discipleship is not so much about what God wants to do for you, but what he wants to do with you. Amen. And when I say what he wants to do with you, we can understand that two different ways, and both of them would be accurate. What he wants to do with you in the sense that he wants to do something with your life, but on a more practical level, what he wants to do with you in the sense of what he desires to do alongside you. Um, He wants to do life with you. He wants you to welcome him into every aspect of your life, every moment of your life, every day of your life, amen? Not just something that we invite him to do with us on Sunday morning, but what we invite him and welcome him into our lives to do with us every day of our lives. So again, discipleship is about where God wants to take you and discipleship is about what God wants to do with you both what he wants to do with your life and what he wants to do alongside you on a daily basis. So what happens at the cross then, we said last week, is a qualifying experience. The cross qualifies you, amen, for what God wants to do with you and where he wants to take you. We tend to think in terms of what God has done for and what what God can do for me, amen, and I'm not, listen, Don't misunderstand me. God has done a lot for us, and he wants to do a whole lot more for you. Amen. But most of God's people in in, in this modern Christianity, in this this religiousized version of Christianity, the focus tends to only be on what God can do for me, what's in it for me. 
Um, I, I, can I tell you one of the reasons why this building isn't filled with, with people who know God and love God and, 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 and want to uh, you know, be with God on a, on, a, on a Sunday morning? It's because they don't really see what's in it for them. They're more interested in what they get out of something. They're more interested in what God can do for them. This, this, is, this is for a sermon on down the road, but it's burning in me right now, so i got to just say it for just, just for a moment, okay? I talk a lot about God taking you to your best life. Him taking you to your best life. And, l- and let me tell you, the greatest threat to your best life is a better life. The greatest threat to your best life is a better life. You see, a lot of people come to God and He makes their lives better. And since He did that for them... They've got a better life than they had before. They don't see the need to continue on into the best life that God has for them. So the better is, is often the enemy of the best. And so when our lives are, are, are made better um, and he's done that for us, we don't really see a need to continue with the Lord into the life that he ultimately has for us to live. So God isn't just wanting to do something for you. He does. Don't misunderstand me. Obviously, he, he gave, Father God gave Jesus so that he could do something for you. But he's also wanting to lead you into a place, uh, a place in life where that you cannot go or cannot get to without him. All right? Now, let's, um, let's kind of transition back over to where we uh, started this morning, Okay. God gave his best. You do understand this, right? Um, Peter talks about this, uh, that we were not redeemed with corruptible things like precious metals and, 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 and treasures of this, of this world. Um, all of those things are, are corrupted. And they were powerless to buy us out from the slavery that we had become entangled in. We were not redeemed with corruptible things, but with the incorruptible blood of our Savior and the incorruptible seed of the living Word of God. Amen. God gave His best. Amen. I love the way the Holy Spirit said it through the Apostle Paul in Romans the 8th chapter. If He did not withhold His only Son from you, how much more will He now freely give to you all things? Amen. If He didn't hold Jesus back, don't ever believe a lie from the devil that He's holding other lesser things back from you. If He spared not His only Son, how will He not now with Him freely give to you and me all things? So again, the cross is about what he wants to do for you, but we've got to move beyond the cross. We've got to move beyond the tomb. What if, what if all of Christianity was stuck at the manger? Is the manger a reality? Is Jesus being born and coming to us, this, this child being born, this son being given, is that not a reality? Is that not such a vital part of our faith? Is that not the, the virgin birth? Is that not something that we honor and respect and recognize and celebrate and believe? Absolutely, positively it is. But what if all of Christianity was huddled around the manger this morning with our backs to the cross, with our backs to the empty tomb? 
You see, thank God for the manger, but the baby that was born in the manger grew into a man, into the, into the spotless Lamb of God, who bled to death on that cross so that we could be redeemed from our sin. But that Savior who bled to death on that cross, He was buried and went to death, hell, and the grave, and was raised up on the third day, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. That's why He fills my soul with laughter this morning, because I'm not going to die. Amen. I have received, I have received this gift of abundant life and this gift of eternal life God gave his best you know why God gave his best to you because he wanted you to have his best he wanted you to have his best and so the only way he could express to you his desire for you to have his best was to give you his best God gave his best because he wants you to have his best Jesus gave his life so you could have the life and nature of God in overflowing abundance without end. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. We live as if Jesus said, I've come that you might have obedience and have it more abundantly. Or that I've come so that you might have no joy in life. No, you see, that you might have life How about this? His life for your life. It's the great exchange of the gospel. He who knew no sin became your sin so that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He came to die in your place. He came to be buried in your place. He came to be raised up, not just for you, but as you. This is the great exchange of the gospel. And if you've been at Heritage for very long at all, you've heard these messages. You've heard them over and over and over again. Jesus nailed our defeated, broken, and limited life to his cross. And when he was raised to life again, the Bible says we were raised with him to newness of life. Life, 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 life. We could go on and on and on about it. But listen to me, please. Life is not a static thing. Life is not stationary. Remember the, the, the parallel the Holy Spirit emphasized last, last Sunday morning is that the cross is literally a stick in the ground. It, it, is, it is a boundary marker now. It, it, it separates our old life from our new life. And it serves as an eternal reminder of what Jesus did for us there and what that cross now has produced in our lives. But we've got to move beyond the cross. Modern day religion uses clinging to the cross as a flimsy excuse for not taking the yoke of Jesus upon him, uh, upon ourselves and moving forward from our salvation experience. You see, life is not a static thing. It's not a stationary thing. Life is meant to be lived. And when we think of eternal life, we need to stop thinking of it as being an an eternal destination, but instead to start to think of eternal life as a condition of life, as a quality of life that we get to live now, not just when we get to heaven one day when we die. Think about the concept of a, of a ticket to an event. Um, let's say that you have a ticket to the national championship game in January. And uh, somebody said amen. <laughs> that gift, the, the value of, you know, face value of that thing's five or $600, right? 
maybe more. I'm probably way low on that estimate. But. And so you're going to protect that ticket and, and, and keep that ticket in a safe place until the day comes for you to hand that ticket to somebody at the gate to that stadium so that you can then gain entrance into that national championship game or into that concert or into that Broadway musical, whatever it is. This concept of a ticket. I think so many of God's people, they view eternal life as a ticket to hand to someone at the gate to heaven one day. It's something that we we respect. It's something we, we at least recognize the value and the importance of. And it's something that we do our best to live a life to try and, and protect and keep anything uh, from spoiling that or, or as some would even believe uh, from doing anything that would steal that ticket from us. Listen to me, please. If you've been born again, you already have eternal life. You don't have a ticket into eternal life one day when you die. You have received the gift of eternal life in overflowing eternal abundance now eternal life is not a ticket to hand to someone at the gate to heaven one day when I was a kid we used to go to the fairgrounds spring fling anybody remember that around here and um, they, they, that, that was in the spring during spring, spring break but then in the fall it would be spring fling on steroids. It, they, they would, the, the fair would come to town and they would have all the rides. And early on, you had to buy a ticket for every ride. And that got kind of expensive, especially, you know, my mom and dad had three kids, you know. And so that meant three admission prices for every attraction. But as we got older they swapped from a ticket system to an armband. Anybody remember that? You paid one price, you put the armband around your wrist, and every time you wanted to enjoy something in the fair, you just showed the man your armband, and he waved you on through. Right? I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to shift from thinking of eternal life as a ticket to eternal life as the armband that enables us to experience and enjoy all of the goodness of God in the life that now is. Father gave His best so you could live and experience His best life for you now. Jesus dealt with our sin on the cross. His blood did what no other blood could do. His blood took away our sin, literally removed it from the picture of our life, never to be held over us or against us ever again. But as we've already said this morning, what happens at the cross is a qualifying experience. Sin disqualified you. Come on now, we've got to, I know that we've been over this already once, but let, we, I want you to, Holy Spirit, help us, please. Sin disqualified you. Sin disqualified you from the life 
our best life, if you will, because it separated us from God. And God is the source of our best life. You were created to live on a level you cannot get to on your own. The cross is a qualifying experience. Because the cross is where Jesus dealt with our sin. His blood took our sin away. I have no problem with you telling someone that Jesus forgave you for your sins as long as you understand that is not all that He did for you. He didn't just forgive you. There's a difference between being forgiven and sin being taken away. He took sin out of the picture. He didn't say it's as far as the North Pole is to the South Pole. You can measure the distance between the North Pole and the South Pole. You can actually travel from the North Pole to the South Pole. He said, I've removed it from you as far as the East is from the West. If you head out West this morning, the farthest point East moves with you. The further you go West the further, the furthest point east moves with you. Amen. In other words, he's saying that it's, it's infinite. It'll never catch up with you. It'll never be used against you. It'll never be held over you ever, ever again. He took sin out of the picture. It's no longer a factor. It's no longer part of your life equation. The thing that disqualified you from your best life Jesus has removed. This is why the cross is a qualifying experience. If you've come through the cross, you are now qualified to go after the life that God created you to live. The cross qualified us to be one with God again. To accept Jesus' invitation to walk shoulder to shoulder with Him in His yoke of discipleship. The cross qualified us to be led by God, to learn from Jesus, to do life alongside Him as He daily leads us into living His best life for us. Brother Donald and I were talking about this a little bit this week, exchanging text messages. And, you know, we, we live in a, a world where if, you know, somebody is uh, famous in some way, that people want to get their picture made with them. You know, so you can say, look, you're not standing there with your arm around, I don't know, to a tongue of old or something like that, you know. Like you, you run into Bryce Young at the, at, the, at the mall, and it's like, hey, can I get a picture? Can you so, in other words, you, you've, you're somebody of, that's noteworthy. You know, we, we want to just kind of get close to them enough to take a picture, so we can kind of like show our friends or something. I don't know what that's about, but that's, amen. Do you realize Jesus isn't just inviting you to pose for a selfie with him? But he's given you and me the opportunity to do life alongside him and, and learn uh, from him on a, on a daily basis. You know, they, they say that if, if you want to... Uh, grow in in your field maybe you're in sales or maybe you're in uh you know carpentry or 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 what have you they you know they say find somebody that's really successful and ask them if 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 you can take them to lunch you know and and pick their brain carry notebook you know and and ask them some questions and 
and, 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 and take advantage of the opportunity of somebody that's ahead of you and that knows more than you. And it's a great idea. Don't misunderstand me. You know. um, but Jesus isn't giving you like one hour window on his calendar for lunch six months from now. Are you seeing this? He's given, he's invited you to come walk alongside him. I want you to go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Amen. Deuteronomy the 6th chapter. Are you getting anything out of this? So again, the cross is about what he does for you and thank God for it. But discipleship is about where he wants to take you. He wants to take you somewhere. Do you understand this? His call, Philippians tells us, is an upward call. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we'll begin at verse number 20. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20, it says this. When your son asks you in time to come, saying... What is the meaning of these testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. Verse 23, if you underline, highlight, mark things in your Bible, I would highly recommend you marking this verse in some way. Verse 23. Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. Now, in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, we see that the entire odyssey of God's chosen people in the Old Testament has been recorded and preserved and handed down, made available to you and me to serve as an example for us to learn from. All of that, what their ups, their downs, their, their wins, their losses, their successes, their failures. The Bible says every bit of that is of value to us today. Even though we weren't slaves in Egypt, but we were slaves to sin. Even though our promised land is not some geographical area in the Middle East. Father God is still wanting to take us to, come on now, not just a better life. Not just a better life. He's wanting to carry us to our best lives. His best for us. We don't have time to look at it this morning, but I will show you where there was a group of them who asked Moses, they said, look, all this traveling, we got kids, we got 
it's just hard on us, Moses. It's, it's just so inconvenient just to keep packing up and moving. Um, this is a beautiful pasture land. We got a lot of cows and sheep and goats. Can we just stay here and you guys go on? Whatever, whatever we had coming down the road, y'all just divide our parts up. And we're, but we're going we're gonna to stay here if that's okay with you. Because what they had was better than Egypt. But it wasn't God's best for them. And Moses looked at them and he said, How dare you discourage the hearts of your brethren and send them off to war while you sit here in the lap of convenience. That's the New Windsor International translation of that verse, by the way. See, what we, what we don't understand is when we as adults settle for a better life rather than going after God's best life for us, we set the wrong example for our children. Are you hearing me? We tell our children that God's best isn't worth the effort. It's not worth the inconvenience. It's not worth the struggle. It's not worth the time in the yoke with Jesus. My friend, my prayer for this family of faith moving into 2022 is that we set a new example of what it looks like to go after God's best life for us and for our families. Which side of the Red Sea could Israel find their promised land on? Was it on the Egyptian side or was it on the other side? Do you follow what I'm saying? How about this one? On which side of the cross is your best life? Are you hearing me? Think about it now. Which side of the cross can you find your best life? Do you realize how many of of God's people think their best life was on the other side of the cross and we're just going to hang on and hang out until we get to heaven and hopefully heaven will will be something better than the good old days that we left behind when we decided that we wanted to go to heaven instead of hell one day. Your best life, my brother, my sister, is ahead of you. It's not behind you. And it's certainly not on the other side of the cross from you. God's best for you. See, I I, want to make sure you hear what I'm saying. Jesus was a gift. He was given to us. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas. He was a gift that was given to us so that we could have the life and nature of God in overflowing abundance without end. But again, it's not a ticket to get us into something somewhere when we die. It's an armband that qualifies us for the journey and for the life that God created us to live right here, right now on planet Earth. If the goal was just to get us to heaven one day when we die, the moment you called upon the name of the Lord to be born again, you would have disappeared from this earth and and automatically appeared in the presence of God and the holy angels. No, there's a purpose. There's a journey. There's a, there's, see, the cross qualified you. Come on now. We, the cross qualified you for the yoke. The yoke is what qualifies you for your next assignment. It doesn't qualify you for heaven. Listen to me. Don't you misunderstand me. There's, there, I said this last week. I'll say it again this morning. Your salvation is not dependent upon what you do. It's based upon what's been done for you. But your rewards in both this life and the life that is to come have everything to do with your works and your effort. Your righteousness is not based upon works. Your rewards are 
Jesus let us know very clearly that what we do in this life determines what we receive and to the extent that we're promoted in the, in the next life. Read the parables. He put people in charge of cities. Did he put just anybody in charge of cities? Did he go one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. Okay, all the threes go that way, all the twos go that way, all the fours go behind me, all the fives. You no, it's it's not it's not random like that. It's not drawing names out of a hat. Let me, let me give you one more verse, and then, or just the same verse, but let me give it to you one more time, then we'll pray, okay? Everybody good? Yes? He brought us out from there, that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. That land, that promised land, represented God's best for those people. See, we, we have this wrong assumption. Listen to me, please, now. Listen very carefully. Or you'll leave here confused now. I don't want you confused, okay? God's highest and best for you is not heaven. It's Jesus. Do, do you see the difference there, right? We have incorrectly made heaven our goal. Father, read it. Read the New Testament. He never intended for heaven to be your goal. He intended for heaven to be your reward and for Jesus to be your goal. He decided before you were ever formed in your mother's womb that you were going to be conformed into the same image as Jesus. That you were going to be as Jesus is to him. This is why he loves you with the same love that he loves Jesus with. Say, Pastor Mark, that, that's, that's impossible. I, I might as well quit now. No, no, no. See, again, the, the, the young boy trying to learn to play the piano, and every day his mother walks past him and says, you better practice, boy. Be like Beethoven. Be like Beethoven. Be like Beethoven. Well, Beethoven might be the greatest piano player that ever lived. And yet, that's what people call the gospel. My friend, that is not the gospel. The gospel, using that same analogy, would be this. Beethoven coming to live in that young man and playing the piano through him. We hear, be like Jesus, be like Jesus, be like Jesus. And to the person who doesn't understand the scriptures, it sounds like an impossible task. Jesus is the greatest person that ever lived. How in the world will we ever be like Jesus? The gospel is not be like Jesus. The gospel is let Jesus come inside of you and bring his life with him and then let him live through you. We need to pay very close attention to that word might right there. Do you see that? He brought us out from there that he might bring us in. 
hyper word conscious, faith conscious people might be tempted to correct God right here. Right? Hold on a second, God. You shouldn't be saying might. You, you need to be more faith. You have more faith than that, God, right? No, no. See, again, he brought them out. How did he bring them out? He brought them out by rolling up his sleeves and flexing his might. He brought them out with a strong and mighty hand. He brought them out with might as in strength. This might right here that he might bring us in, that might there is not talking about strength. That might is might as in maybe. That might is might as in expressing a possibility based upon an unfulfilled condition. A possibility based upon an unfulfilled condition. A possibility. In other words, what is he saying? He's saying, I brought you out so that you going into your best life could be a possibility for you. That he might bring them in. Why didn't he just say, I'm bringing you out and, and, and come hell to high water, I'm bringing you in. See, that's kind of what we think God would say, right? No, no, see again. Because he can't bring them in if they don't trust him. He can't bring them in if they don't shift from watching him operate to cooperating with him. The mic's not on God's side. The unfulfilled condition is not, it's not on God's side, it's on our side. Amen. Stand with me, please. Praise God. James chapter 1 and verse 17 says that in God there is no variableness. In God there is no variableness. What does that mean? It means he's a constant. He never changes. But people say, well, if God never changes, why, why do the outcomes people receive change? The outcomes people receive change is not because God changes, but because of the variableness with which we respond to Him and cooperate with Him or refuse to cooperate with Him. You see, in a math equation, you've got the constant, which is the number, but the variable, remember, it's, it's, it's uh, uh, represented by a letter. 1 plus X equals. Well, how do you know what 1 plus X equals? You'll never know what 1 plus X equals until you know what the X is. The X is the variable. If the X is 3, then the answer is 4. If X is 100, then the answer is 101. So in this very simple equation, 1 plus X equals. 1 is the constant. X is the variable. God doesn't hold the variables when it comes to your life. You hold all the variables. You hold all the variables. So when he says, I brought you out of sin so that I might bring you in to the fulfillment of your eternal destiny in my Father's kingdom, so that I might do that. It's not because Jesus, you know, is like getting old and tired and can't help everybody. No. The might is based upon unfulfilled conditions. And we hold those variables.
He gave you his best because he wanted you to have his best. He gave you his life because he wanted you to experience it and enjoy it. Father, as we stand before you this morning, we thank you for your great love. We thank you for the power in the blood of Jesus to bring us out of the damnation and the wrath and the, and the punishment that we all deserve because of our sin. Lord, raised us up and made us sit together with Jesus in the heavenly places. Perhaps the greatest display of your power that will ever, ever be witnessed. And yet we come to a different meaning of this word might this morning, Father. Jesus did what he did for all of humanity so that we might be saved, meaning there's something we have to do to receive this indescribable gift. Sister Pam mentioned the uh, salvations on Thursday at the foundry. You know, some of you have sit in those classes and in those chapels, and and it's a beautiful thing. And and praise God, it's not a, a rare thing or an uncommon thing for people to get born again. But here here's the difference in, in all the many many years and all the many many people I've had the opportunity to lead the Lord at the foundry. Here's the difference. I taught on what it means to be born again for three weeks, and then I stopped. Meaning what? Meaning they had, uh, um, I think it was Brother Donald that said to me years ago, you can't make good decisions with bad information. <laughs> so they had the information, they had the revelation, they had the, the word on, on that. This morning, if, if you would just bow your heads once again. If you're in this room this morning, you say, Pastor Mark, I have, I have never received this gift of salvation and and I've never received this life that you're talking about that Jesus paid such a high price for me to, to have. And, and, uh, but I, I'd like to do that. This is my morning. You're here this morning and say, I've never been born again, but today's my day. Anybody, anybody, I, it would be wrong of me not to give you that opportunity. Um, anybody, praise God. All right, so Father, I'm praying over a house full of born-again folks this morning. People who have already experienced your qualification at the cross of Jesus. So, Father, now, as we look forward to this Christmas and then a new year ahead, we purpose in our hearts to commit ourselves to taking your yoke, Jesus, every day of our lives to learn from you, to do life alongside you, to experience and enjoy life as you intended for us to live it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Praise God. Tell somebody around you Merry Christmas and good things coming. And um, we will see you on Wednesday night, if not before. You'll be blessed.